So once again, we've waited and waited and waited some more, but they dropped all three episodes at the same time. We're here to talk about season two of The Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime. And this secondly special episode, we're going to be discussing episode two of the TV show. This is part two, three of our, you know, podcast episodes because everything was dropped at the same time. So bear with us. So listen here for our digest of episode two check back in for a review of episode three this is your spoiler warning we will spoil everything you can possibly imagine about the books and potentially the tv show so if you haven't watched episode one or episode two yet what are you doing here go back watch that stuff and come back to us so i'm joined here today by doll and diana and we're going to talk episode two Episode two, I think, is my favorite episode of the three that was dropped so far, um, which is reflected in the fact that my notes are the longest for this episode. Notes. <laughs> yes, uh, unlike me and Diana, Dad has no notes. Dad has no notes. <laughs> I don't know how you live, Dad. Um, we start this episode with a cold open that starts with Rand having a nightmare of killing the rest of the Emmonsfield Five. Um, and he wakes up in a place, shirtless, standing in a window. Thank you again, Rafe. Just truly the gift that keeps on giving. And this woman, Celine, comes to talk to him. So I will say, I'm just going to say at the jump, that I hate Celine in the books. I hate Celine in the books. I get it now. Is it because she's so helpless or something? I, she's just so annoying. I'm like, Rand, what are you doing? How are you falling for this woman? I get it now. I understand. I take back all of the times that I have made fun of Rand for falling for Celine. I totally <laughs> understand. She's stunning. She's super sexy. And she is just a woman who knows what she wants. When she was talking to Rand about him having to like pay rent and stuff, I genuinely thought that Rand was like her live-in prostitute for a second. And I was like, sure. <laughs> Sure, Celine, if this is what you want for your life. <laughs> um, I just I always assumed that she was manipulating him with the one power. I mean... I think she is, because you hear a bunch of whispers. I feel like she's messing with his dreams. That's the corruption talking to Rand, I think. But it says you are mine at the end of this scene. Okay. Yes. You are mine, Luthrin. Yeah. Yep. And, and oh, okay. Like, it says I man. Take that back. So in the subtitles, it says man, you are mine, but it's definitely actually like just a distorted voice. And I'm positive, 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 positive. Okay. That already warned you guys, but I can't keep talking about Celine as if she. That already <laughs> warned you guys about spoilers, but I can't keep talking about Celine as if she is Celine. This is Landfear. <laughs> this is Landfear. And Lanfear being like, you are mine, Ran, you are mine, Luz Theron, is so on point for her. Then in the morning, then like, it, still in the cold open, we go to the morning and Rand is like walking through the town. My only note here is that someone chucks bread at him and I want to know what to do with my life in order to have people chuck bread at me in the morning. <laughs> so to put some kind of placement on it, we're at the foregate. Mm -hmm. in, um... Some kind of like... It's insane asylum. Well, no, I was just gonna say that he he's at the foregate, which is the oh yeah, well the the wooden city outside of um Carrion. Carrion. And that's you know, he was there in the books, although he arrived under completely different uh circumstances. Circumstances. That's the word. Started I knew it started with C. Arrived alone, for one thing. I thought he and Celine arrived together. We don't know. They they're already there together. No, no, I mean in the books I thought he and Celine arrived together. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they had come out of yeah they had they had come out of the um, portal stone yeah I'm portal stone because that's in the books that's where Rand meets Celine yeah she is just some 
some waif stuck in an, an, a, another portal world that he rescues. Right, right, right. And she's just like, I'm some noble lady and loyal and, and here and, and ran to rescue her from some grom. And, and they come. I meant he's alone in the show. He doesn't have loyal oh, yeah. and here <laughs> and parent. That's, yeah. Yes. He just has Celine. Just has Celine, which sure. It works out. Yeah. He he goes from the foregate into the main city of Kerhian and goes, like Thad said, to some sort of insane asylum. It's set up that he's been here for a while with how he's walking to work and everybody's just like, hey, Rand, how you doing? Here's some food kind of thing. I really like the set and costuming contrast between the foregate and the main city. Like, yes. the foregate, everyone's looking super grungy. Like, there's still some blues, but there's not a lot of color. And then he, like, walks into the main city and, like, we get the very cool, like, French slash Japanese costumings that, like, the regular people of Kerhian wear. Everything is much cleaner. There's, like, actual streets, actual houses. Like, it's a very, they've really visually tried to show, like, these are two distinct classes of people living in the same place. I really, really liked that. Now that's the end of the cold open is basically Rand walking in to the asylum, changing his clothes. Um, And then we get the serpent eating its own tail again. And we are back into the meat of the episode. Moiraine and Lan are really hurting from that Maedral attack. Adelaus could not care less if Moiraine just dropped dead right there. (laughs) She looks at her and just basically like rolls her eyes and moves on and is like, poor Lan, are you okay? What can I do for you? (laughs) And there's like fawning all over him. It's so funny. And then Varen, being Varen, like goes and talks to Moiraine. Then as they continue talking, like Adelaus and, and Varen are like, oh, we know where you're going and we'll join you to the White Tower at least. And then they, like, go off and let Moiraine and Lan talk by themselves. And Moiraine continues to be so rude to Lan. Like, she's so mean to him in the scene. Yeah, she's, like, very much pushing him away. He literally just saved her life. Yeah. And all he wants to do is just be there for her. And is is this at that point in the episode where we basically get the origin of the two? No, that's later. Not quite yet. Um, this is where she tells Lan that he needs to have Tomas saddle the horses because she doesn't want her saddle to slip. And I wanted to smack my rein in the face when she said that. I was like, this man. Right. Like, wow. That's such an insult. He took so many my draw blades for her. He loves her in like a platonic way. I was like, Moiraine, this is unacceptable. Right? I know you want to push Lan away, but this is unacceptable. Please stop. I'm so mad at her. Ugh. So then we cut away from Moiraine and Lan and we get back to Perrin um, and the rest of the Shinarans and Loyal. They're continuing to track Pat and Fane and they track him to this like house across a river. They leave Loyal with the horses and go into the house where Perrin starts to see things. He sees a woman in a window. He goes in and he sees a family and they get attacked by Pat and Fane and a fade. Now, this scene is literally straight out of the books, but mm-hmm. it's Rand that sees it and they're crossing the river Erinan before they get to the studding and the portal stone. So this is where I'm like, is Perrin just taking over the... That, scene but they're making it look like part of his wolf vision yeah because the context here if you don't remember is that it's rand and matt are with ingtar here and the rest of the shinarans following after pad and fane because he has matt's dagger mm-hmm. matt can kind of basically just go ah he's in that direction i feel it kind of that way and they're trying to chase him down and get the dagger back because at this point in the story, Matt has not been separated from the dagger yet. So they're trying to get the dagger back before the separation between the dagger and Matt kills Matt outright. Right. So a lot of that story has been kind of 
shifted to Perrin, and this will be, I guess, more of the development of his wolf powers and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, and like I mean, we talked about it ad nauseum last episode, but I, I continue to not really be a huge fan of, of this. I do like that Elias is standing in the doorway and Perrin is like, what are you doing to me, to Elias? Like he's definitely at least like aware that Elias is related to this in some way. He hasn't figured out how yet because Elias has explained nothing. Classic Wheel of Time people explaining nothing. <laughs> Classic. Well, that's that's the wild part is because Elias in the books was a very helpful person. So helpful. And in the in like, he's been helpful for tracking Pat and Fane, but beyond that so far, he's been very quiet, very silent. Like, he clearly doesn't, he's, like, tolerating the Shinarans. He's not a huge fan of them. And, like, he's trying, I think, to pull Perrin out a little bit, but Perrin is just super not receptive. Yeah. I did see some people complaining that Perrin is wearing a sword. He's with the Shinarans. He's going to be carrying a sword, guys. Like, we're just going to move on from that detail. It's fine. Yeah. We're not worrying about it for now. I do love... My favorite thing that they kept from the scene that's in the books is that they kept that Fane nailed the fade to the door. Mm-hmm. That's a huge scene. It's huge. Because it it's it's big for Padden's Fane's character. Yeah. And it's like, was it Masema that said, like, who can do that to mm-hmm. a fade? Mm-hmm. And they don't seem convinced that it is Fane, but we, we book know. readers know it is. And eventually they will figure it out. But it's a great way to show that, like, Fane is not just another dark friend. Like, Fane is terrifying. I was about to use the F word. <laughs> terrifying. Because he is probably one of the scariest villains in the whole books. He double evil. <laughs> so he is kind of like, if you want to take the parallel between this and Lord of the Rings, he's the he's kind of the Gollum character, but on kind of like the next evolutionary scale. He's like Gollum on steroids. He's like Gollum and Saruman tied into one. Yeah, he is he is the uh what is it? He's literally the contrasting evil to the dark one. Yeah. And like this is a great way to kind of like begin to show that. So I love that. I also love that they showed the detail of they they specifically went to the feet of the fade to show that it was still alive when it was nailed to the door because it was like scraping its stirrups against the door. Yeah. 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 It's it's rough. It's rough stuff. I'm so glad they kept that. We saw that in the trailer. And when I saw that in the trailer, I was like, yes, <laughs> we are in for it now. So hyper. We're so happy and hyper. (laughs) (laughs) Then after this scene, um, we get back to Rand in the insane asylum. He's with Errol, which is very, the way that he is with Errol is very sweet. I know. He's such a sweet boy. Like, this is really Rand's sweet boy at his best. Um, He's Mm -hmm. still in there, even though he is banging Celine every night. He he's so kind, and even though Errol is so scared of him, and like is so like ah, Naiva. Yeah, and it's clear they've had the same conversation every day for who knows how long. Presumably five months <laughs> or about or something. Yeah, I, I do like that they are using Errol, this character who doesn't exist in the books at all, to teach Rand the forms. I was talking to Dorian of Tarvalon.net as well earlier today about this. And I was like, I don't think I buy that this frail old man is teaching Rand the forms. And Dorian was like, no, no, it like, could the, is the guy still strong enough to necessarily like hold a sword? Maybe not, but the muscle memory is probably still there. Oh yeah. And so that, that made me a lot more on board with like Errol teaching Rand the different forms, which 
he's going to need by the time he gets to Tolman Head, so I'm glad they're addressing this. Yeah. I love that they've named him Errol, like Errol Flynn. It's pretty good. It is a, it's a very fitting name, and it, it sort of fits in the way that Robert Jordan would have named people. I love that. Then we get the total asshole who tries to like tease Errol and is just a total jerk, and we'll get what's coming to him later in this episode. What, what's fun is that he, he doesn't have an X-ray credit. He doesn't. Because several times I kept, I would, I would rewind to let him be like, his face is on screen and pull up the X-ray and go, all right, who is this? Even if it's a not, a, you know, a, a show only character, doesn't get one. Oh, tragic. I think they say his name later in either this episode or maybe they bring him up in the next episode based on events that happen, but no X-ray. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible stuff. Um, just the show also does not respect this character, which is great. He deserves no respect. He is a jerk. This character is something like out of Boardwalk Empire. He's so rude. He's just the mean girl. Also, that walk that he's got to where he's got like a like a 45 degree lean backwards as he's walking. It's giving Cat Crosses the Courtyard is all I'm saying. <laughs> Cat Crosses the Courtyard. As maybe he also learned the forms from Errol, but only that one. I don't think so. <laughs> as we can see, he's only interested in drink and, and the company of women. Yep. Then we cut to Leandrin taking Nynaeve to learn about healing, um, which feels, I don't know if foreshadowing is per se the thing, because Nynaeve's whole thing has been about healing. And really, if Leandrin had stuck to this, I think Nynaeve would have been much more interested in training with her. So they bring back Breakbone Fever, which is a cool mm-hmm. kind of like nod to, to season one. And to show that like for Aes Sedai, Breakbone Fever is not an issue. We also get a first look at the accepted dress, which just... Again, the costuming in this show. Gorgeous. Stunning. The fact that the rainbow is all little like stitched tears was such a cool detail. Ugh. Compare it to how they showed them off in season one. Because they had like ribbons tied around their hands up into their fingers when they had some out in the the city in the first season. And I was like, I hope that's not what they decided to go with. I don't think those were accepted. I still don't think those were accepted. I think those were heralds or something. Maybe. They didn't look like accepted. I think we had that conversation back then. I think think there was some kind of page or or servant or something. Oh, yeah. I think the people who like brought Loghain into the hall, I think those were servants. Yeah. And they had like the, because it, it's just a, a symbolism of the tower. That's why they had the ribbons and stuff. I, I, I remember seeing it specifically out in the city when Loghain was being, mm-hmm. or is that what we're talking about? When Loghain was being carted into the city? Well, they were there and they were also brought them into the hall. Gotcha. Okay. The only time I think we might have seen accepted in the first season is when Pat, like it's like one of those scenes where Pat and Fane is actually there. And there's a couple of like people who walk by and those are either accepted or novices, but I'm always looking for Fane in that scene. I'm never really looking at the costuming. So (laughs) I couldn't tell you at this point. You're just hearing for that whistle. I was, I was really listening for the whistle, but yeah. So back to this episode, um, I I really love, I love how they show healing. It's Spirit and air, I think, is the weaves that she uses. And I also love that they really start talking about Crimson Thorn Root for the first time. This is going to really carry into, like, episode two is doing a lot of heavy lifting for episode three. Uh-huh. And so, like, we start to, to get Crimson Thorn Root, which will be very essential for the rest of this episode and for episode three. Yeah. Leandrin talks about getting to the source of the disease, which I'm like, Leandrin, I think this girl having breakbone fever and men who can channel are not related, but whatever, queen. <laughs> <laughs> and Nynaeve is also just like, no, screw you. I'm not interested in this. Um, but she does see that Leandrin has taken the crimson, the diluted crimson thorn root, and that makes her very suspicious. Leandrin buys some snacks, 
goes back up and talks to Matt. Uh, Matt is less emo and more snarky now, which I was like, yes, give us some snarky Matt. I love that he, like, when she leaves, that he mimics the sound of the lock and, like, her walking away. That For me, that really sealed the deal of this this is Matt. This is Matt. This is Matt right there. Mm-hmm. Agreed. If I could distill a Matt uh, essential moment, like this is it right here. A hundred percent. I completely agree. It was so perfect. Um, and then he just gets up off his bed, takes his little like spoon thing, saunters. Starts shawl shaking. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Saunters over to the wall and starts attempting to dig or continues attempting to dig his way out. It was so great. Um, I was so happy. We cut to lower down in the tower with Egwene, um, who goes up to her room, which is now like covered in stuff. I initially thought she was in the Red's quarters because there was so much red furniture. Yeah. When she like turns the corner and it's Elaine, I literally gasped. I know. It was so perfect. Elaine's got a million servants and she's bringing all this stuff in. Makes sense. Yeah. And just assumes that Egwene is another servant, is like, oh, yes, yes, put that there. And Egwene is not here for it. She is not having any of it. No, she's just like, this was blocking my room. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, we need to pause here and talk about how I'm, I'm going to have a couple of quibbles with some of Sierra Coveney's delivery later on, because I am not like a huge fan of a little bit of the dialogue that she's been doing. But this scene is so perfect. She is so perfectly Elaine. Ugh. Ugh. Oh, I see you just got here too. <laughs> Queen's like, I've been here for five months. Yep. <laughs> oh, you're, they also, my room was also full of rubbish. It's like, girl. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then when she sits on Egwene's bed and just can immediately recognize the stitching, very cool. Glad that Andor at least is aware of the two rivers, even if the reverse is not true. More gays is not. <laughs> I they did make like I feel like this. It may not have been. I think more gays made a comment like this that two rivers. Oh, was, she does. Yeah, yeah. And in the book, so this is sort of they borrowed that line from more gays, where she makes a comment about the two rivers being part of Andor, and that makes them her subjects. And Egwene's like. <laughs> whatever yeah yeah i love I, I love elaine being like well you are my my subject and i was like oh girl i again not how you make friends elaine i know you're new to this but not how you make friends by telling them they're your subject you're my subject and also that she's just immediately like i'm the daughter heir i saw a couple of people online complaining that this is very out of character for elaine and to to them i say go back and read the books at every turn elaine is constantly like i am the daughter heir of andor even when they are trying to be subtle <laughs> and in a different, like, um, like they're trying to have disguises. She can't help it. No, <laughs> she has not known anything but being completely pampered. Subtlety is not a word that is in her dictionary. No, mm-hmm. no. Unlike Moiraine, who you could not, like, truly you could torture Moiraine and she would not admit to being a noble lady, Elaine will tell you at the drop of a hat at all times. Well, I am heir to the sun throw. (laughs) (laughs) Also, the fact that Elaine mentions Cadswain, just, yes. I liked that nice drop. So good. And some sort of made up, the best I can tell that Cadswain's roommate was some made-up Aes Sedai with no references anywhere. The only reference I could find online was one that was added after the episode was dropped. Oh. It was added to the, the fandom.com wiki and a reference to that scene. 
Don't worry. Everything gets added to that wiki like super fast, even if it's true or not. I know. It was like literally like the next day. And I'm like, it was the only, because when I Googled Elna Sadai and that was the only thing that came up. And it was like Friday, like less than 24 hours after the episode had been released. Yeah. Not sure who she was referring to, uh, but glad we're getting a Codswain mention regardless. Yes. I think it was just a way of dropping Codswain's name. Which, fine. I'll take it. I'm excited. I I am maybe one of the rare fans who doesn't absolutely hate Codswain. Oh, hate is the wrong word. I think she is a problem. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's putting it lightly. I have issues with Codswain. God, I love her. <laughs> I don't hate her the way that I hate Elida or show or not show Alana, book Alana. I think she's infuriating. Yes. I mm, I hope they go a completely different direction with uh, TV show Alana. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Speaking of TV show Alana, I, uh, <laughs> I caveated that real nicely. Um, we get a very interesting scene with her and her warders and Shiryam um, talking about whether or not Nynaeve should even take the test. They mention the warders, who seem very well informed, mention the Wonder Girls and that they are the Wonder Girls, essentially. Um, They call out that Elaine, Egwene, and Nynaeve are like some of the strongest channelers they've ever seen. Um, And they also talk about Mazram Taim. We hear him by name. Mm -hmm. And um, they talk about Loghain as well and how these are weapons that the pattern is giving so that people can fight the Dark One, which I'm like, is that what Mazram Taim is for? I don't think so. Clearly. (laughs) Good try, but no. Mm. And then Shiriam talks about how Leandrin is calling for a vote. I don't know what this vote is for. I'm assuming it's for Nynaeve to be raised. Yeah, I guess maybe they've taken that from (laughs) Tarmon.net. They vote for ratings, maybe. Like, they, we don't see this vote. And a lot of people were like, oh, this is more Leandrin, like people online were like, this is more Leandrin gathering power. This is more evidence that Leandrin is going to overthrow Swan, to which I tell you, Elida has been confirmed by Rafe. They are not cutting Elida. Leandrin and Elida are not the same character. I did not know he had confirmed her. He confirmed her at JordanCon. He did? Mm -hmm. Wait, what? You you understand I was running the costume contest? Yeah. (laughs) Um, in his message to, in like the Q&A message, he mentions her by name. Okay. Yeah. And they talk about how excited they are for her to be. I have to go back and watch that again. I do love how Shiriam basically, you know, because Alana and her warders are trying to convince her and she's like, well, you are Aes Sedai and Warder, so you count as one, not three. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, and Shiriam earlier in that scene is like, like. Alana's like, where's your warder? And Shiryam's like, some things are best kept between sisters. Meanwhile, Yvonne and Maxim are right there. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, I don't think Alana agrees. They have a very different relationship. I mean, yeah, I think Maxim and Ivan are just sort of extensions of Alana in a lot of ways. And they're still making her a lot more likable than in the book series. <laughs> yeah. Um, Moiraine also needs Alana for some reason, which is why Alana, Yvonne, and Maxim are leaving the tower and not going to be there for this theoretical vote. I'm assuming she's going to take Lan. That is definitely what they hint at. Yeah, because in the books, they give Lan's bond to some completely, at, up to that point in the books, unknown Aes Sedai that he has to go find. And it's just like, why even do that in something like this? Yeah. Yeah. I would be totally fine if Alana ends up with Lan's bond. Yeah. Then we get back to lots of time in the tower this episode. We get back to Nynaeve looking for Leandrin and then following her down kind of like a secret passage with the mm-hmm. squeakiest door I've ever seen. It is genuinely a miracle that Leandrin doesn't hear Nynaeve coming. Also, the worst hidden 
hidden door I think I've ever seen. For real. Like, you walk to a dead end and there's two windows and she's obviously disappeared. Who wouldn't poke at the walls? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, interest, it's a choice. Yeah. Rather than going in order, I am just going to kind of like keep with that for a little bit. Okay. Because Nynaeve tracks Leandrin for like a long time. It's like a sunset, and then presumably she like tracks her all the way to what was it? It was South Harbor, the North Harbor, or North Harbor, and like it is like dark, dark mm-hmm. when Nynaeve finally um, gets to Leandrin's house. I'm guessing, um, and Leandrin like has just got there, and we see her with a man who is super sick. Who, based on the first dialogue, I thought was Leandrin's lover. Yeah. That's what I thought too. I was like, that's weird. It is a little bit weird. And I was like, this is an interesting choice for Leandrin. Uh, and then we learn it's her son, which means that at some point she must have been with a man at some point. Based ma- on the dialogue, I'm going to assume that that was not consensual. Yeah. I would think that, especially given how much Leandrin hates men. The way that she talks to Egwene about, I think it was Egwene at the end, about not letting men I get no that was naive she was talking to because she's trying to convince her to go to the red or the dark side I'm not sure <laughs> which one but the way she talks about men it makes me think that maybe this son was n- either not a hundred percent consensual or maybe she was forced into some kind of marriage and he's the product of that marriage one way or the other that she still loves this boy but I don't think she likes the way he came into the world. Yeah. Leandrin also last season had talked about like with Nynaeve, like how men can still do violence. Men do still have power in this world, even if they're not like all, well, not all powerful, Mm -hmm. but even if the patriarchy is not necessarily as much of a thing. Yeah. And like, yeah. So I think there's a lot of, of hints to, I agree that this, this son came about maybe not from a consensual circumstance, Uh, but she still loves him regardless and still doesn't want him to be in pain. And instead of taking Nynaeve's good advice, smacks Nynaeve across the face with the hand that has the ring on it. I know. (laughs) Yeah. hits her real hard and threatens to kill her. And so Nynaeve leaves and then Leandrin is immediately like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like she always seems to do where she's like, I did a bad thing. Oh God, the consequences of my actions. <laughs> um, this scene did not humanize Leandrin for me in any way. I'm going to make that very clear. <laughs> Cannot torture Matt and make me like you as a character. <laughs> you are the only person. Because <laughs> I think most people are like, Good God, are they going to make me think that Leandrin is human? Because that seems to be what they're doing. They're trying their hardest right now. Yeah, and everybody but Diana seems to think it's working. <laughs> it works up until she's an asshole of Matt again. And then I'm like, nope unforgivable wipes it everything away i mean it's mad he's my sweet boy my baby angel i love him him and Egwene. <laughs> i love i am a matt apologist forever and ever and ever i mean i think we're glossing over the fact too that it's matt's not the only one that she's keeping imprisoned true true sort of i mean not sort of it's true. We uh, we find out a little bit later that she does have someone else imprisoned, a very important character, but mm-hmm. you're not quite there yet. No, because we're almost to the, well, we have a couple things before then. This is my notes. I will admit my notes for this episode as I am looking at them now are a little bit shaky. So if I skip stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're going back to Perrin and company. Yes. They're riding into a fishing village outside of Tyr, which I think from the x-rays it was... That's not... Something... Not Tyr. Why did I... I wrote Tyr down originally. Outside of Faldara. Or not Faldara. Oh my god. <laughs> We're just naming every city. <laughs> <laughs> it's on Toman Head. I don't know why I wrote Tyr down. I think I was 
confused. Yeah. Uh, it's outside of Falm. Yeah, outside of Falm. There we go. Which I'm now, I really want to call it Falma. Don't worry. It goes between Falm and Falma numerous times in the audiobooks. Great. Wait, the new ones or the old ones? The old ones. And the glossary is Falme, so I don't know. But the show seems, the show is doing Falm. The show is going with Falm. I, I, I think the, what we can take away from here is pronounce it however you want to pronounce it, because that is the correct <laughs> way to pronounce it. Fair. And, but in the x-ray, it says it's Atwin's Well, which was a scene, like, they did go to Atwin's Well in the books, but it was, mm-hmm. I don't know that Perrin was there. I think it was when the Shantan were marching in. Yeah, because when it was, in, in the books, they basically keep to the eastern side of Randland as they're literally going up and down until they finally get to Kinslayer's Dagger or getting the, the dagger back. But, you know, we've mm-hmm. very much deviated from that course at this point. No, we're way, way far away from Kinslayer's Dagger, except for Rand, who's still in Carrion. Yes. I also, I think the reason I thought it was a tear originally is because there's a lionfish that's being cut up and the lionfish are in the southern sea. <laughs> so I think they're just playing around with geography now. This is why you don't trust sushi in a landlocked state. <laughs> We're on Toman's head. We're still on the coast. Yeah, we're on the coast. So maybe they caught the lionfish and sailed it up. <laughs> sure, it's more exotic, right? Yeah. Well, they did say it was fermented, so. Well, yeah. Per- um, Loyal. Loyal. Loyal said something like because Perrin was like, oh, it stinks. And Loyal's like, oh, it's delicious. The fermentation really makes it. I feel like that that's, uh, well, I feel like they could have played off that scene for Perrin's wolf powers because they were really far away and he goes, oh, that stinks. And Loyal would, would be the one to be able to smell it. Nobody else says anything. They weren't that far away. If you've ever been in a fish market, you know. Yeah, I was just saying, they were not far enough away. I totally believe that he could he could smell that fish. <laughs> I've been in an office with microwaved fish, so. Yeah, fish, is, fish be stinky. I agree that they could have played up his wolf power more in that scene, because it is the one time that we get him talking about something smelling. But again, they just chose to be like, no, nah, it's fine. So they they settle into this village. We we the show itself will come back to them later, but we should I think stay with them for the moment because that night they get attacked by the Shanchan. I should not be as excited. Yeah, I we should point out that Elias refuses to stay in the village. True, which is the only reason that Elias is not captured with the rest of them. Mm-hmm. He says what he says in the books. I like to sleep under the stars. Yes, and he warns Perrin that this is not his pride. So I have a theory that I know is incorrect, obviously, because I've read the books, but I think they're doing a fun thing in the show where Ishamael and Elias are never in the same place together. And Ishamael later is going to talk to Perrin, obviously, about his wolf powers in episode three. And I haven't heard anybody have a theory that Elias and Ishamael are the same person, but I feel like it's not outside of the realm of possibility that show only people could come to that conclusion. Yeah, because we do have Moraine, I think, in the previous episode, say something like, you know, ah, they're the Forsaken, they're the most powerful channelers, they can do things that we can't even imagine. Which, if you're paying attention, it could be a, it could be a setup or something like that. Yeah, it's in this episode and she's like yelling at land. Right, we don't know that, like in the show, they don't know that Balzaman and the Dark One is actually a Shamael. We haven't heard his name yet. Yes. Yeah. I feel like they haven't, they've made it very clear to the sh- to show watchers that a Shamael is not the Dark One, but I feel like the characters don't know that. Yeah. But it's just something that I think is cool. I, f- I feel like I feel it more in episode two or episode three, but now that I'm thinking about it, like Elias dips and then the Shantan show up. And then Ishamael shows up with the Shan-Chan. But yeah, so they get attacked by the Shan-Chan in incredible fight sequence. 
every single Shinaran is just going off in this scene. They look so good. Yeah. Uh, especially hot Sema. There you go, Fenya. <laughs> just for you. The Sema, who is way hot. He does some incredible fighting early on. Uno is kicking ass. Ingtar is kicking ass. Loyal, we finally, we like see why Ogier are considered such incredible fighters. He's so strong. Five people trying to pin them down. Yeah. And like, really, like the Shinarans are doing great here. Like they are holding their own. If it had just been this like Shan Chan contingent of soldiers, I actually think the Shinarans could have fought them off. But it's not. <laughs> it's not. They bring in two Demane Soldom pair and uh Crushed them immediately. Yeah. Obliterated. Yeah. Without even trying. Yeah. It didn't occur to me until I was watching today, but as a person who's living in this world for 3,000 years where the Aes Sedai have had these oaths of we can't use the one power to channel against people, we can only use it against dark friends, it would be so disorienting to have these women show up and just channel at you and kick your ass. It would be so like demoralizing disorienting everything like so strange yeah it would be for the people who are more familiar with it because i feel like there's contingents are out there that don't believe that they don't yeah i mean remember it's in two rivers up to that point Trollocs were just a fairy tale they told their kids to get them to go to bed so just just imagine outside of the major cities mm-hmm. far off in the west away from Tarvalon's influence a lot of these people probably believed things a lot less yeah I'm not talking about the villagers I'm talking about Ingtar oh yeah Ingtar and, and oh, Masema mm-hmm. and Uno yeah, yeah, yeah. that has pro- gotta be so because like they've had Lady Amalisa like they've mm-hmm. seen channeling being used to help them against dark against like Trollocs and against Maedral and against like dark friends for centuries. And now all of a sudden they have these women come out of the blue and channel at them. Like that had to have, I, you can like see it in Ingtar's face where he's kind of like, the hell is that? What? What? And then he's like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> and like, right as it happens, like they get completely blown away. We will come back to the rest of the Sean Chan stuff in a little bit. <laughs> Then we end up with Varen, going back a little bit, we're with Varen and Moiraine, and they are, like, within sight of Tarvalon. Not that that means much. Tarvalon is clearly very visible from a lot of places. Yeah. And Varen and Moiraine have a very interesting conversation. Yes. (laughs) And my favorite quote from the whole episode, where Varen says, even oaths have loopholes. Very Varen line. And I'm like, oh. She says that because Moiraine, she's she's like, oh, are you trying to get rid of Lan because of the boys that you brought back, one of whom might be the dragon? And Moiraine is immediately like, all right, bitch, what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> and is like ready to shank her in front of her sister and her warder. Yeah. <laughs> like Moiraine. It's like, that's close enough. <laughs> uh, Varen also, before she talks about the O's, the having, oh, and Moiraine is like, you need to have swear an oath of allegiance if you're going to have this information. Varen also kind of sort of quotes Dana and Ishamael here when she's talking about like the world being somewhat broken and all that, which I think is very interesting from a dialogue perspective. Also, Moirin says what's broken cannot always be healed, which I think is sad. Which I believe is reference to her being stilled. Yeah. Yeah. Again, is she stilled or is she is she shielded show? Please tell me. Please make it explicitly clear. They also talk about the prophecy of Toman Head and the battle over the sky and... And the, the branded man. The branded man. And I am so excited. 
I'm so excited. It is one of my favorite visuals in the whole book series. I cannot wait. Like they wouldn't have referenced it if it's not going to happen. And we just got confirmation for it. Yeah. Thank God. I'm so excited. Does it make any sense as it is written? No, but that's okay. (laughs) A battle in the sky, a man wielding a blade with two branded hands. Incredible. Because Rand has not been branded yet at all. And it's one of my favorite things about the prophecy is that Rand gets branded twice, twice and twice again. So I'm so ready. And we're going to see one of those by the end of this season. Yes, we better. Yes. Well, uh, in the sky with the flaming sword. That's true. That's true. Yeah. They <laughs> they did say he would have his hand branded. So it's going to happen. Um, and then we have had branding in the show already. So I guess we're going to do it. Yeah, that was a little weird. <laughs> yeah. Oh, was that was that in the Forgate see, uh, scene? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was in the hunt. Yeah. I think that's in episode three. Okay. Yeah. I was like, I can't remember if that was the tail end of two or the start of three. That's in three. That's in three. Yeah. But speaking of the foregate, we then go to the foregate and it's nighttime and Rand follows the guy who stuck in credit in the X-ray. <laughs> I, I, I will I will say they, they did include one detail in <laughs> the parties that happen in the foregate at night, which I hoped they would have followed it through. But given how they arrived and how everything's going on currently, um, wouldn't have made much sense. They did have the giant marionette of a trollic. And I was just like, all right, I'm glad they included that. Because in the books, later on, when the streets are cleared, they have a bunch of dark friends marionette a real trollic into the city to attack Rand. And, you know, it obviously doesn't happen here. But given how things are unrolling right now with uh, the, the, the TV story, it wouldn't make sense for them to do that. Because we got to get Rand out of out of Carrion. So it's not outside of the realm of possibility that could happen. But I agree. That was such a nice Easter egg. Like, as a book reader, I was like, oh, I know exactly where we are now. We're, in, we're back in the foregate. Okay, cool. I was, like, immediately clear. So Rand follows the guy, the jerk, and beats him up. And then accidentally channels air at him to, like, crush him. And as Rand is channeling, you can hear kill, like, a couple of times in the distorted voice. Kill, and it's kill. like, oh, this is very clearly the madness. He goes back to Celine and is like, oh, God, what have I done? And Celine is just unbothered, <laughs> which really should have been a, should be a sign to show people that, like, she's problem, guys. Rand is like, she tries, she starts trying to make out with Rand. Rand is like, no, I don't want to, and slams her up against a wall. Uh, to which I'm like, Rand, come on. you That's obviously one of Celine's kinks. Like, I don't know why you think that would put her off. <laughs> and then he immediately starts making out with her, and then it cuts to black. <laughs> In my notes, I wrote down, is Rand a switch? Because, like, up until this point, he seemed pretty passive. And I think that Rand is a sweet boy in the streets and a freak in the sheets. <laughs> <laughs> and I am going to headcanon that. Okay, it looks like this this guy's name was Yawn. Yawn, because he was boring. Yawn. He wasn't boring. <laughs> he was played by... He wasn't boring, though. Played by Derrica O'Toole. For, for what it's worth, the guy really did a great job at making the character unlikable. Yeah. And he only has two scenes and he really sells it. <laughs> he really, really sells it. So then uh, after after we cut away from Rand and Celine doing what they're going to do, uh, we get to Elaine and Egwene talking in Elaine's room, which has been completely cleared out of all of Elaine's uh, stuff. And um, Elaine has brewed some hooch. <laughs> which made me so happy. 
I love that she likes alcohol. I love that she, they mentioned that she loves to tinker with things because it's a very important characterization for Elaine later on. And they have like this wonderful conversation um, where Elaine is like super excited at first that Egwene and Nyenev are friends and then sees that Egwene is not thrilled about it, tries to relate to Egwene more and like kind of like pull out more of like why this is bothering Egwene so much. And then is very like... Girl, you shouldn't. You shouldn't be jealous. Jealousy is not a good look on you. Um, which I agree, it is not. I also like uh, yet again Elaine going. I'm the daughter heir of Andor. <laughs> I know jealousy when I see it. Drop, drops it again. We oh we skipped it early. We skipped it because I skipped it in my notes. But earlier, um, Egwene and Elaine were like doing a tower, a tour of the tower, and like every ice that I already knew who Elaine was. Um, they were all talking to her. Shiriam is pissed at Elaine basically for having all of this stuff um, and threatens to like punish the person who let Elaine bring all of her stuff in. And Elaine is like, I will take the punishment in a very daughter air way, Um, which I was like, go off queen. But you can like, we can see that there's going to be this like kind of rivalry almost between Nynaeve and um, and Egwene that's like built in that scene and then builds more here where Egwene like really is jealous of Nynaeve for her like raw power, but not actually like doing anything with it. Whereas Egwene works super, super hard. And I think this is going to be like really good work to then have it pay off like later and later in future seasons where their relationship just gets more and more tense and more and more fraught. And there's constantly a power struggle between the two of them. Um, I love that they're setting that up here. Let's see. Did we talk about Min and Matt? I was just about to get there. We, I, I brought it up and we put a pin in it. Yeah. We are taking that pin out now. We're going to talk about the best pair up. So Matt gets back to digging his Shawshank tunnel, at which point he opens it up and there's Min. And she's like, can I help you? <laughs> Calls him a possum. So you're the possum that's been scratching at my walls. <laughs> A little bit later on, they've opened up the hole a little bit more and they get Min through the wall into Matt's cell. Um, She brings some wine with her and they're like talking and drinking. And he's trying to like get information of her like, why are you stuck in here? Like, you know, they're both they're both a little bit like, does Leandrin want to have dominant sex with you or does Leandrin want to have dominant sex with me? (laughs) The original scene with them comes right after Leandrin's son uh, we learn about Leandrin's son, and Matt has the line of, I think she prefers her men dead. And I was like, oh, that's harsh dialogue, given what we just <laughs> <laughs> given what we just saw show. Uh, but in general, I think that Matt is probably correct. Yeah. Uh, Min reveals that she got picked up by a red who recognized her for her gift in an inn and brought in. And she tells Matt like about her visions and things and asks if he wants to know, or kind of is like surprised that he doesn't want to know. And I think this is very Matt to be like, no, I don't care. I don't care what my fate is. Like, I don't want to know. I also feel like there's a, it's a very Matt to kind of want to feel in control of his own fate and to not, like, have his taverness happen. But he kind of doesn't have a choice, although Min doesn't tell him that she has a vision of him stabbing Rand with the ruby dagger. Yeah. Uh, that feels new. Yeah. Yes and no. Because Rand does need to get stabbed with the dagger at some point. It's, like, actually essential that he gets stabbed with the dagger. But I will be surprised if it happens this season. That feels really fast. Yeah. No, I think that's a long-term foreshadowing there. I hope so. It's interesting that they've already filmed it, though. Because they already filmed it, I feel like we're going to see it this season. It doesn't have to be Matt doing it. It was. It's Min has a vision of Matt stabbing Rand with the dagger. Yeah, I know. But, like, it doesn't have to be what happens in actuality. I don't think that's how Min's visions work. Like, the things that she sees... No, the whole thing with Min's visions is she doesn't understand. 
understand it, but what she sees always comes to pass, no matter what precautions are taken. And the what we've seen in the show of her visions, like happens visually verbatim like she saw Nynaeve burn out she saw Rand holding a baby okay we haven't seen her we because she did see Perrin with like blood on his chin I think so we haven't seen that so maybe like we won't get it this season but it is interesting that I believe it's Pat and Fane who stabs Rand in the books it's interesting that it's going to be Matt and we do based on some of the preview stuff that we've seen I do believe Matt is going to get reunited with the dagger this season so I feel like we're going to get it this season, which again feels fast. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. Well, we've only got eight episodes season to work with. Yeah, make it work. Yep. Yeah. We go back to Lan and Moiraine and Adelaus and Baron, um, and they're a little bit closer to Tarvalon. And this is where we get the lovely, lovely new spring content. The story of how they met. About Lan throwing her in the lake. In the pond. <laughs> in the pond, whatever. In the water. <laughs> yep. And Tomas is like... You threw Moraine to die. <laughs> I think in the books, doesn't Moraine then take the pond and like dump it back on land? Dump it on his head, yeah. Yeah, she does. They left that part out. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> it's just incredible stuff. It's also very sweet um, that we hear their story. Yeah, and then they even ruin it. Yeah, then then a little bit later on, um, jumping ahead to just close out their plotline for the episode. They are talking also in the dark and Moiraine is like, that's not when I chose you to be my warder. It's when we went into this village and there were Trolloc heads and you were unfazed and I realized how brave you must be. And then she's real rude to him again. Yeah. Just an abrupt about face and she is super rude to him and yells at him about the Forsaken and talks about how strong Ishamayel was and talks about how Ishamayel is probably letting the other Forsaken free, which because of preview stuff we know it's true and then tells Lan that they were not equals uh Alana and the other her warders right up and Moiraine is like I'll force Alana to take your bond if you're not going to leave me alone also Lan steals the poem before their argument I missed that yeah he sure did yeah Mm. yeah he steals the poem so it'll be really interesting to see what happens with that when Moiraine realizes she doesn't have the poem and we know that Lan can read Old Tongue. Yep. So that'll be fascinating to see how that gets resolved because it is not resolved, not even addressed in episode three. Interesting. Yeah. He takes the poem like right before they start arguing. He's like going through her saddlebags and stuff. So going back to the is she or isn't she still at the point where she says they are not equals. Is she lying or does she think that he is better than her? Because I don't believe that she thinks he's better than him. I really would like to believe that she thinks that Lan is better than her. It's one of those things of even if it's a lie, if you believe enough that it's the truth, it's the truth. Yeah, but like, is she lying there because she does believe they're equals or she just actually really believes that he's better than her? And Probably. I think, I think it, that I want to. I want to believe it's the latter. Yeah, I really hope it's the latter. No, I, I, I think it is the latter because you know, up, up until this point, she feels like she's failed and basically been her rock. Yeah, and she's trying to push him away. But how? Ow! 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 That just hurt <laughs> so much. For real. It, yeah, it did. Like I, I, I see what she's doing. Yeah. The scene is also doing a lot of setup work for episode three. It is. Because, like, Alana's there. Moiraine tells Lan to go to the tower. Like, for the fake-out in episode three, like, this scene makes the fake-out believable. Yeah. Oh, it worked on me for about two seconds. (laughs) I was a little confused. We'll get to that next time. We'll get get there. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of fake-outs, 
when uh, right before this, Lan, I mean, Nynaeve is summoned from Leandrin, who's still a little salty from Nynaeve, you know, witnessing her and her son. She says that if she could take it back, then she would, but the hour waits for no woman. You know, we, we did gloss over a scene from episode one then where Nynaeve, or Nynaeve is talked to by Leandrin originally and, you know, basically forces her up against the wall to make Nynaeve channel, right? And if, if you're paying attention, that's basically Leandrin has taken up what happens in book two with Swan trying to teach Nynaeve how to channel. They've made it Leandrin instead for this whole scene. Yeah, I guess we glossed over a little bit. I talked about how she's trying to get her angry and turn turn her into Sith. Yeah, yeah, but but yeah, yeah, that's what Swan was doing in in book two up in Shinar. Okay, I mean we did talk about it because we talked about whether or not her channeling the blade of fire would be making a weapon or not. But mm-hmm. well, I mean, the, and the the distinction there is we know she's Black Aja, so she can just do that. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember if this episode ends with Nynaeve's like going into the acceptance test or if it ends with Rand because my last note is he 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 crafty Rand's plans work because he I think it's I think this episode ends with him sauntering into um the the same asylum yes it does it does yeah after Nynaeve is summoned then we go back to the Shan Chan yes that's right which we talked about earlier and then we go back to Rand and he's like sauntering through and he gets the key to go into the garden. And then he's able to go into the garden. And I think he and Logan like look at each other. And I think that's how the episode ends. Mm-hmm. And then fade to black. That's literally what I wrote in my notes. <laughs> Hello, Logan. And then fade to black. So yeah. Any other thoughts that you guys have about episode two? I think it's it's pretty solid setup all around. Yeah. It's a very meaty episode. There's a lot of jumping around that happened. The way that we kind of went through it is a little bit more plot point by plot point rather than like scene by scene. Yeah. You kind of have to do it that way. Otherwise, we'll be here for two hours discussing an hour long episode. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which we could because there was so much in it. Mm -hmm. Like I could have spent an hour just talking about the Song John battle. Oh, that battle is so beautiful. And also incredibly well lit yes because it happened in the day <laughs> no no the the sean chan battle happens at night but super well lit it happened at night oh no it did happen at night but we could see it perrin gets pulled out of bed and out into the square yes yes you're right i was thinking of the next yeah the next part which part. happens in broad daylight <laughs> we'll talk about that really next. to drive it home we will talk about that next episode. <laughs> and with that, thank you again for joining us on Tarvalon Talks. If you've got any questions or topics you'd like to talk to us about, feel free to send us an email to producer.tvt at gmail.com or you can join us on tarvalon.net. In our general forums, we have a special thread called Tarvalon Talks pinned at the top of the page. You can also chat with us via the tarvalon.net's Discord server and Tarvalon Talks Discord channel. Stay tuned for our next episode where we discuss the third and final episode released in week one of season two of the show Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime. See you next time.